0: is Buffs Nation. Ooh, what's going on Buffs fans welcome back into another episode of the Buffs Nation podcast. See you coming off a 20 to 10 win against San Diego State Woohoo! Buffs are three and0 we're feeling good in Boulder. I'm Tyler Walge. he's Jared all to my right. Jared, how are we feeling? How I we doing? I feel great, man. It just—it's such an energy about this team yeah. right now, and it just—it feels great.
1: I'm so glad they were able to fit a game in there. I—I I, I had that what half hour of just
0: complete and utter disappointment. It got weird last week, as uh, as Doctor Evil would say on the uh, Austin Powers movies. Things got weird, but we ended up getting San Diego State last week, and we'll dive into that game. Of course, look up to the uh, pre—well, we're going to preview the Arizona game coming up this weekend, and things are good in the University of Colorado football program. Producer extraordinaire, Ryan Smith. Ryan, how was your
2: trip to the mountains? It was great. We went to Grand Lake, and uh, just before I get into that— we're bowl eligible. Oh, yeah. hey oh, oh, yo! If only
1: that's all it took every year, right? <laughs> bowl eligible, right? <laughs> It's been a while <laughs> since we've been able to say that. That's but uh,
2: But yeah, it was great. Uh, it was up in uh, Grand Lake uh, for the last four days and honestly uh, was not able to watch the game. You know, when you're in the mountains, you don't get an opportunity to have cable. So I really wanted to kind of have you guys recap the game for me and and just kind of go over highlights, what what stood out. Well, you've come to the right place. (laughs) Definitely.
0: We're going to talk about that. We'll recap what happened last week. But uh, Grand Lake, you know, for those who don't know, know, uh, I am not the biggest camper in the world. I spent my whole life in Colorado. Now, you may think that's weird that one of my main goals in life is to be on Survivor for not loving camping or the outdoors. You may want to get out and camp once or twice before you <laughs> do that. People, I think that's like a prerequisite. That's what telling me, you know, you got to try it. But. Ryan, could you even envision
1: Tyler out camping? Like I, go, I went camping with my wife for the first time recently. Uh, no, you would like put her to shame. <laughs> in terms of good or bad? Uh, in, in terms of your high maintenance right, uh, right. glamping, I think we would call it at that
2: point. No, Tyler would end up in the car. <laughs> I totally would. I don't doubt that one bit.
0: But uh, did you guys camp this weekend? How would you get it going? Because uh, no. Ryan's more – they have, like, I the don't, whole setup, do yeah, you guys? Well,
2: well we're, we're more outdoors. But that, the, the whole setup, like the truck tent that we have, um, it, it's not meant for camping in November. Obviously, too, with a lot of these camping sites in the mountains, they're not open during this time of year. Um People get stuck, you know, things like that. you just can't get to them. So we actually stayed in a cabin in Grand Lake. It was about a block uh, and a half away from the actual lake, and it was um, it was a cabin that was built in the 1930s. Hey and um, it's an old boy. Yeah, but but it it was definitely modern. Like we had, you know, a stove, we had a fridge, but there, see, there's here's a thing. TV. Ryan
0: has sort of earned his clout with uh camping, right? We know he does it, we know so when Ryan goes to the to the camping sites, no one gives him any grief. I feel like if I went camping but stayed like in the camping, like whatever you call it, what'd you call it? The cabin? The cabin. <laughs> you guys would give me so much. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I would never hear. Oh, you didn't stay outside. You stayed in the log cabin with the fire and the and the stove. I don't care if it's December. You're staying outside. Exactly. Tyler. <laughs> I would. I would never hear the end of it. Yeah. I feel like uh, Ryan's uh, getting away with one here.
2: No. Well, that that's definitely. Well, with with the whole truck setup that we have, that's definitely glamping now. Like we don't sleep on the ground anymore. I'm spoiled now. <laughs> but there's there's there, there's nothing on the ground anymore. Nope. Uh, but yeah, I mean the cabin it, again. It was a little bit more updated, even though it was built in the 30s. Um, there was a hot tub, there was a grill, so it was it was basically like staying at a hotel. We didn't have to build our own fire. I, w- I always we say this.
0: I know I'm high maintenance when it comes to camping and things like that. I honestly. I don't need any more than Las Vegas. It's like, hey, you want Egypt? Go to the Luxor. You want to, you want Rome? Everything oh, you need. Right, exactly. Yeah. Hey, go down to, to Bellagio. You want Italy? It's like, hey, we got everything you need in Vegas. You want some beach? You want a beach? Go to Mandalay Bay. You know, spend some time at the beach there. So that's why when it comes to, to traveling, you have really all I need is Las through. Vegas. You've oh, really pfft. thought it through. All you need is Vegas, baby.
1: That's all. Of course, you need. it's more expensive probably for most people to, to spend a few days in Vegas than it would be to go to Egypt.
0: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> exactly. At but least hey, for me.
2: I'll take a nice Four Seasons any day. So, so, so before you move on, Tyler, I yes. just want to. This being a a Colorado, you know, podcast of CU Buffs podcast, I just want to uh, take a time out to be serious, and then I'll go back to being a jerk for a little bit. Um, go if you're listening, go up to these mountain towns and support those shops, those restaurants. Not only have they had to deal with COVID, but a lot of them have had to deal with really, really terrible wildfires. So if you can, get out there, go spend some time, go spend some money, and keep these businesses alive because that's part of what makes Colorado unique. And Ryan practices what he preaches. He spent $61 on a couple pizzas today. Yeah, I sure did.
0: Bojo's is not <laughs> cheap. Wow! I know. He told me he got two pizzas to go spent over $60. bucks. i am like... Those prices are COVID prices. Two medium pizzas, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but they got the bomb
1: crust and everything. It, right? is, it, is, it is so it is really good. So uh, but is but good. Tyler or, or Ryan, I'm so glad you bring that up because that's a big thing. I think shopping local right now. I know everybody out there. You're on social media. Everybody's on social media. There are tons of places out there. There's local places to find. Don't shop on Amazon, guys. Everybody, Amazon's making billions of dollars right now off of this COVID situation. So shop local, support your local vendors.
2: Yeah, and and honestly, just just one more thing is it, it was crazy to be driving through the mountains, especially through Grand Lake, where that was I think the biggest wildfire in Colorado's history, and, and to see the amount of damage that it caused, to see entire mountainsides just black and in complete ash was it, it, it's really it's really saddening. Um, but yeah, get out there and, and, and help all these locals out and, you know, do your part. All right. Good stuff guys. So let's get back to last week's game.
0: Recap Colorado hosting San Diego state for those who didn't get a chance to watch or for Ryan. We'll let you guys know what happened right now. Colorado, in my opinion, looked very good. Got off to a hot start, uh, uh, scored the first touchdown of the game on, I believe, let's see here. It was a 16 play drive. So San Diego State got the ball. I think they went three and out, gave it back to the Buffs. 16 plays later in the end zone for the 7-0 lead. Colorado would take a 14-10 to lead into halftime, but don't let the score fool you because the offense for San Diego State didn't get in the end zone at all last weekend. A pick six allowed San Diego State to score their only touchdown of the game. And honestly, this is going to sound weird. I was happy Sam Neuer got it out of his system. It was a bad throw, bad read, but if you do that against a good team in a close game, that'll come back to bite you. For Sam Neuer, he got... He got screwed with one, right? He threw a bad ball, but it's okay. He'll learn from it and it didn't impact the buffs at all. And you're right. Sometimes you do need
1: that where everything had really gone so well for Sam Neuer so far as a starter. And so sometimes, even though it's not a conscious thing, you do get a little bit lax in your mind and you think you can start making every throw and you maybe get a little lazy with your reads. And that's exactly what that was. He eyeballed the receiver the whole way. The DB was on it. He 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 saw it the whole time
0: and he took it to the house. Oh, of course. But don't get me wrong. Like I I may be in the minority here, but I like the gunslinging quarterbacks. You know, I like it to be paired with someone who can make good decisions. But the fact that Sam Noyer dropped back, made that pass. In hindsight, we can go, what are you doing? Bad pass. You telegraphed it. It's like, you know what? I love the attitude i love what went into making that pass wasn't a great pass they picked it off took it back for six but still that was their only touchdown of the entire game and it came in the first half they also got the field goal but cu scored two first half touchdowns so at halftime 14 10 you're feeling pretty good as a cu fan and they came out in the second half and it was really interesting because for the last couple of weeks you know in cu's first couple wins it was letting their opponent back into the game in the second half and CU did the exact opposite this week. They didn't let San Diego State score again the whole game. They didn't score a second-half point. They did nothing in nothing, the second half. Nothing. I mean, the defense put the clamps down for the buffs. And honestly, I'm okay with that because CU, although they scored two field goals in the second half, that's it, six points. A field goal in the third, field goal in the fourth. It was enough to cement the 20-10 to win. So what you may hear if you read some blogs, articles, social media is – Oh, boy, CU played San Diego State and only won by 10 points. They only scored 20 points, so on and so forth. I think that we've been spoiled so far the first couple games of the season with CU's offense. Now, I'm not doubting them. I think this is a great offense, but this is not going to be a team that puts up 50 points a game. CU had to prove that their defense could get on the field and win a game for this team, and that's exactly what happened. I don't care if it was UCLA. I don't care if it's USC or San Diego State. Second half shutout is so big for this team. I was really impressed with this defense. Well, and it's so easy to look at a team like San Diego State and say,
1: oh, it's a Mountain West team. They should roll right through this team. But San Diego State has fared very well, and I don't have the stats right in front of me, but they've fared very well over the pack uh, against the Pac-12 over the last four or five years. In fact, this was one of their few losses coming against. Against the Pac-12 in that time span. This is one of the better defenses in the country. They were allowing less than 300 yards per game going into this. And they had five games on their schedule already that they had yeah. played prior to CU getting there. So this is a team that's been playing. their inner in a rhythm. CU having a week off, having a short notice, no time to prepare for this team. I'm, I'm ecstatic about how well this team performed. And yeah, you know what? San Diego State did... Probably proved to be the toughest defense that the Buffs have played so far. And I think there's some self-scouting to take from this. I think this is the first team that really... Targets stopping the Buffs running game. And I think they really, really focused on that. And early on, I think you saw the offense struggling a little bit to get into that rhythm. I think Sam Neuer struggled a little bit, especially if you look at his stat line in this game, just 17 for 29, 138 yards. But they kept grinding. They kept chipping away at it. They had the one bad mistake with the interception. But aside from that, a very mistake-free football game again.
0: Yeah, I think you mentioned Sam Neuer's stat line. Uh, 17-29, 138 to repeat Jared. But they didn't need him this game. And 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 one thing I like about what I've seen so far from Carl Durrell and this coaching staff, they're not forcing anything. You know, if you're up uh seventeen to ten going into the fourth quarter and you have the football, there's no need to run this to run a crazy offense or to put yourself in a bad position or to, to go for it on fourth down or to call bad plays. Like CU has done such a great job managing the game, whether they're behind, ahead. That's what I've loved the most from this Carl Durrell staff is they don't panic. They do what's needed every game to get the win. And while Sam Neuer only threw for 138, you know, what they had going on the ground with everything else, it didn't seem to be that big of a deal. I didn't walk away, or I guess let me put it this way. When I was watching the game, I didn't think, you know, halfway through the fourth quarter, Boy, Sam Neuer not throwing the ball a lot today. It didn't even it didn't even dawn on me because they're playing this team game where all that matters is getting the win at the end of the day, and that's what we saw on the ground. By the way, because this wasn't a pass-heavy game. See, you threw the ball 29 times, rushed it as a team 53 times for 134 yards as a team. 134 on the ground. Jarek Broussard 124 on the ground. 32 attempts, 124 didn't get in the end zone. But it's becoming more and more obvious that he's such a workhorse. As he goes, this team will go. And my main question for you guys, Ryan, I know you didn't see the game, but still, you see those, you hear those stats. What's going to happen when Alex Fontenot comes back? Like, Who's going to be the number one? Because to me, it was clear when this season started, Alex Fontenot is the absolute number one. And then whoever else, be it Jared Broussard or whoever, is going to be the number two. Jerry Broussard may have played his way into the starting lineup when, Ale- when uh, Fontenot comes I don't back.
1: think there's any doubt about that. I right. think the way he's performed this year, you cannot take this guy off the field. And that's not to say that Alex Fontenot won't get his share of the carries. I don't think that the Buffs want to see Jerry Broussard getting 32 carries a game. I think they'd rather see him in that 20, 25 touches a game. I think you see Alex Fontenot get another you know, 10, 15 c- touches as well.
2: Yeah, do we have any update on Fontenot? I don't have any update. Nothing. Nothing. C- I've never seen a,
0: a, 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 an injury in CU football history protected like this.
2: Yeah, neither have I, and that's why I bring up. Do you think maybe with with the shortened season and with how many games are left? Are we just going to see Fontno next year? Especially with how Broussard's performing. If I'm the
1: buffs right now, if there's any sort of thought that this injury may be a lingering thing, whether it's a, a hamstring, you know, knee, what anything like that that you think could cause further issue, I wouldn't
0: even think well, about yeah, bringing if him. If back. it's injury based or career based, I agree. But if he can come
2: back. This year, correct me
0: if I'm wrong, but there's like there's no eligibility this
2: year. That, that right? was going to be my question about what is the eligibility with the Pac-12. It's wiped. They 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 are yeah, so, able to come back for. An, uh, this is pretty much a free year. I so, still don't so,
1: understand how that's going to work. How you're just going to have a whole s- extra year's worth of scholarship right. players on your roster?
2: Honestly, throughout the whole conferences, I think it's something that they decided to do early, and they're going to pay for it later. I think so too.
0: Yeah, for sure. But I mean, honestly, if you look at what's going on right now with Broussard. Yes, he's doing well on the ground, but guys, I really think that if Fontenot's healthy enough to come back, these guys are splitting carries. Like, we've watched Fontenot now for a couple years, and we've now watched Jake Broussard for three games. So, I'm willing to say that, you know, in terms of comfortability, someone who's been there before, someone who's done it, Alex Fontenot's been there, done that, and he looks electric. Alex Fontenot is one of those guys who is very much like Broussard. It's not going to be a thunder and lightning situation where you have your power back and your speed back. They both play very similar. I don't think that matters. I think when Alex Fontenot's back, you insert him in the lineup and split carries. It's going to be better for both guys. Maybe not in terms of NFL stock this year. But it'll be better for the buffs, and that's what I'm looking for.
1: Yeah, it'll definitely be better for the buffs. I know it is sometimes hard for guys to get in a rhythm when they aren't getting those touches every every down. But I think a lot of that is you play the hot hand then, and and then you you don't you don't necessarily worry about oh who oh he only has 20 touches, right. uh, you know. has got 30 carries, and Fontenot's only got 12. We better get Fontenot carries. You know, it's all about who's performing
2: better. Yeah, just looking at his stats for the season, Broussard I'm talking about he's got 90 rushes in three games. Yeah, that's a lot of carries for it's 38. One- guy, that's not. I, 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 that's that that's big on. and has knee
0: issues in the past. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean,
2: averaging 4.8 yards of carry, you know, that's great. That's but but you know, that's that's a lot to ask out of one guy.
0: And I thought it was interesting last game that the backup was not Jaron Mangum, who we've seen game after game. He didn't get any carries. Mangum got zero carries. Joe Davis got seven carries for the day, ten yards. And uh, Sam Neuer for 11. So uh, here's the way it's listed right now on ESPN. Of the 53 carries, Jarek Broussard got 32. Sam Neuer got 11. Joe Davis seven. And then they have three team runs for negative 12. You know what those are? Is that sacks? Is I that... don't know what that would include because they the do sa- they do stats weird. Dude. Yeah, those are sacks. Yes, yeah, st- 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 stats have gotten so weird though. Like sacks don't or uh, sacks don't count towards the quarterbacks rushing yards now they're a team rush too too many people are worried about them stats and also did you know that if a receiver blocks and doesn't go out on a route then it's not technically a sack there was a fan duel yeah exactly ryan's giving me a weird look right now there was a fan duel tournament where a million dollars changed hands because the winner of the fan duel tournament thought they had it won and stat corrections said, nope, that wasn't a sack. That was a tackle for a loss because the receivers were blocking. Can you imagine being the guy who wins a million dollars and then you get an email from FanDuel like, oh, wait, the stats Actually. said that, <laughs> that wasn't a sack. That was a tackle for a loss. You now come in second place and you don't win a million. You win 10,000. So right. S- it's
1: because they established them as, as a runner at that point. A quarterback yeah. is no longer a quarterback throwing the ball. He's now a runner. Yeah.
2: But if he drops... Ba- That's so strange to me. If it's not weird if she drops back. And, it's a real and gray area. It, then for it would sure. be a th- uh, then it would be a pass. Well, and especially in this day and age, where there's so many uh, types of routes that are pick, quote unquote pick routes, RPOs, yeah. are, are are those are those run plays or those pass plays? You know what? I you it's very, know what I've al- a big gray area. You know what I've always thought,
0: and this isn't a new thing. I've thought this back to when I was oh little wee lad watching college football, right, or just football in general. I mean, this is when I was like six, seven years old, and I'm watching. You guys tell me. But I'm asking. This is an open question for the audience. Give us a follow on Twitter, at Buffs Podcast. Let me know where I'm crazy with this. You can also give me a follow at Tyler Walgie. That's Tyler, W A L J E. Let me know where I'm off with this, okay? Because I've thought this for a long time. If you're a running back and you're handed the ball or pitched the ball or given the ball, right, and you know you're going to get tackled for a loss. How often do we see, even in the NFL, a, 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 like a halfback pitch and the halfback runs out to the sideline? He's going to get tackled for a seven yard loss. He tries to redirect to the middle of the field and he loses 10 yards. Okay. Why doesn't that running back ever just throw the ball out of bounds? He's out of the pocket. It would be, they would get the ball right back at the line of scrimmage and they would not lose anything. I, I think that every single time I see a running back get tackled for a five yard loss, I'm like, dude why didn't you just chuck it out of bounds past line of scrimmage? But how many times do we see a scenario, and again, we don't really see it because nobody
1: actually throws it out, but who's to say that tackle on the other side of the field hasn't already crossed? Was it five yards down the field? And, and now, could, you're, now you're an offensive lineman downfield. That's probably the best point I've ever heard. You guys, is, it, you, guys seen, you guys have seen some of these running backs throw the ball. I, I think I'd be a little
0: worried about my guy actually making it out of bounds and that's maybe throwing the least it right of my into my worries. defense. That is the <laughs> least of my worries. If you're at that point in the play, and your running back is near the sideline, and let's say you, you only have to throw the ball five yards. Any of us could do that. If any of us can do it, I'm not going to take it out of any running back's hands who can do it in the NFL or college football. Now, Jared brings Jared brings up a really, really good point, one that I hadn't thought of. Uh, illegal lineman downfield, right? If you get a lineman downfield, obviously this wouldn't work. But in other scenarios, can you guys think of why they wouldn't be doing What is this? the
1: penalty for an eligible man downfield? Is that five yards?
2: I don't know. 10 yards? Because if know.
1: we're talking five yards and you're about to run out five yards, you actually save a down, save a down. By,
2: by having that penalty. Exactly. Well, well, with you bringing it up it being a five- to seven-yard loss, you know, somewhere around there, usually that happens because the play broke down so fast. You have to understand, like, even with those pitches and those things happen, um, that play is done within a second and a half. Right. To, to ask a running back to pull that from his arm, get it out, and throw it back – you know, out of bounds, that's a lot. Now you're just asking for turnovers. I know, but, and in the, in the,
0: again, um, sorry, a l- l- little distraction there. Again, my thoughts were that obviously you wouldn't expect to see it every single time. Like more times than not, the running back would get tackled for, you know, in, in the backfield, tackled for a loss, things like that. But I see it happen way too often, especially in college, where they're trying to redirect field or come back across. It's like, that should be coached into players. That if you have nowhere else to go, it's legal, right? There's nothing illegal about that. And
1: that's the key right there. I think it all comes down. You'd have to coach that. I think if you coached your players to think about that, but but maybe you don't want your running back thinking about, hey, you, you might be getting tackled five yards oh, in the backfield. Know. Think about throwing offenses about. Offenses are
0: so complex these days. I don't think that would throw anybody off. We really went on a tangent.
1: I know, thing. right? Yeah, is, 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 uh, <laughs> Are we even talking about
0: the Buffs no, anymore?
2: <laughs> I, I think Tyler just is like on the next level here. I'm not really sure where that came Tyler's from. Tyler's getting some real where where that,
0: analytical approach I don't know going, where maybe. that came from either, but I was just, I think that's so much. I bet I think it once a weekend where I'm watching football and I'm going, just throw the ball out of bounds. You save yourself seven yards there. I think you're asking too much of running backs, man. You're, you may be right, but I may be crazy, but you may just be the lunatic I'm looking for. Something like that. All right, so let's keep going. Uh, We talked about Colorado's rushing. Uh, Let's get to the receiving. This is my favorite part of the game. Our star coming up, and man, he's looking better and better each week. Levante Chennault, leading CU, six catches, 64 yards. What do you think of the youngster showing up? I'm thinking you might have had some inside information last week that you held out on us because
1: <laughs> Tyler presents to the audience and to, to Ryan and I here, hey, what do you guys think about Levante Chennault? You think right. you're you disappointed in him or you think he's his meeting his expectations? And then the kid goes out and has a huge day, leads the team, six receptions, 64 yards. He he looked like LaVisca out and, there, and did it, he not?
0: And it wasn't a coincidence, six receptions on a team high end targets. They were trying to get him the football. Do you think that was part of the game plan, or do you think that's because Levante Chenault runs good routes, was open against his defense, and, and and Sam Neuer threw the ball where he wanted to throw the ball? I
1: mean, there's certainly that aspect to it to an extent. I think the, the guy was getting open a lot, but I do think this is a direct correlation to Brady Russell being out of the game. I think there was a security blanket not there for Sam Neuer, and I think he continuously found Levante Chenault open, and I think he made an attempt to continue to get him the ball once he saw he was getting open.
0: And then uh, Brendan Rice, two catches. We talked about him, you know, the son of Jerry Rice, obviously getting involved. Uh, Dimitri Stanley, one catch. I'd like to see that go up. But really, I think that was all because Katie Nixon, finally back in the mix, finally healthy, four catches, 26 yards. We expect to see, you know, more out of Katie Nixon, probably expect to see some more stats, some bigger numbers. But with such talent at the skill position and with su- with a lot of guys who can make plays, I think that's a very good first game back. Introducing yourself back to the offense, make a couple catches.
2: I was impressed with Katie Nixon. Yeah, so I'm looking at it. I have, I actually have Katie Nixon with, with the team high in targets at eight. Oh, um, I, oh okay. I, I saw Chenault with uh, six targets, six catches, which is awesome. I mean, did not have a drop or a, a bad ball to one receiver. I had eight here on ESPN. Yeah, they, I guess leave it to ESPN. Anyway, so, so – Leave it to Beaver. <laughs> as, as a – somebody who didn't watch the game, I see Katie Nixon's first game back. He's got eight targets, four catches. Is that – did you guys see any sort of um, – Sense of the offense bogging down because they were trying to force KD Nixon the ball.
1: No, certainly not. I, I I don't think there was any sort of forcing anything to him. I think a lot of that, uh, you know, I think they were trying to get him the ball underneath, and I think that he just didn't break that tackle. He didn't just make that play. I, that's a lot of what he does. I mean, he he's a great deep ball receiver, but they they certainly didn't run him on any deep routes. I think I think they were trying to ease him back in. I think also too, they, there's a lot of you know when you hear football players talk, you hear about being in shape and then being in football shape, and I think that's part of it where you just I think it takes that extra week or two being in the game getting up to speed getting that extra gear I mean his longest play of the day was nine yards so he just he just didn't break any so I I did not feel and Tyler maybe you disagree but it didn't feel to me like there was anything forced it it, it really just like we've seen all season long guys that got open got the ball and I think Sam Noyer made good decisions with the ball when
0: he could well first of all I think that you guys are right Katie Nixon kind of replaced Brady Russell because he ran a lot of short routes a lot of drags a lot of short routes over the middle of the field And it was more of a safety blanket, but also, you know, I think that we should be careful distinguishing forcing the ball to Katie Nixon with the eight targets or... Darren Shriverini putting Katie Nixon in that spot on the offense Great where point. he's going to be the first read. And so I think a lot of that was just putting Katie Nixon back in that number one role where he's used to being to where he simply got a lot of the looks because that's what the play is called for. And, you know, I, I don't want to sit here and I think that we're all pretty good at, look, we, none of us pretend to be in the locker room or, you know, I think that the day we get on here and yell it, see you for calling oh that third down play that's not what we're about on this show we give the coaches time, room to do their jobs we give them benefit of the doubt but Honestly, like a lot of that does come down to just putting your running back or excuse me, your receivers in a good spot. And I think Chivarini and staff. Well said, Chivarini, can, a
1: former wide receiver himself.
0: Exactly. So they understand, you know, we're gonna put him in drag routes, not not ask too much of him, but I don't think the Sam Noir was forcing the ball at all. I think he threw it to who's open, and who was open this game was Katie Nixon and Levante Chenault. And so. I think
1: he also understood how well his defense was playing in this game and knew he didn't need to force anything. He needed to let his defense go and win this game. It's what they did.
0: Did we have any catches by tight ends? In this game, I'm looking at Matt Lynch. No, there's a couple of CJ names Sh- on here. I, oh, oh uh, uh, Schmansky. I was gonna had say had I don't
1: recognize that, <laughs> that name off yeah. the top of my no,
0: head. Uh, CJ, uh, I believe it's Schmansky. Uh, saw a 6'3 sophomore. He's not gonna get too much time this year, but he did have two catches for five yards. So it's not like the the tight ends were uh, you know disappeared this game for the Buffs. But I love filling in, calling a little bit of a different play here now. Uh, to kind of mitigate for that. So good stuff there in terms of receiving. Sam Neuer, you know, we talked about him making good decisions, throwing the ball where it's open, but I do have one complaint here. He had two fumbles on the day, couple snaps. Was it two snaps or was it a snap? Uh, I know uh, at
1: least one snap that I can think of right off the top of my head. That never made it to right. him. And so I, I think it was a fumbling. It was basically on the ground by the time it made it to him.
0: Yeah, but either way. I, can't,
1: I can't knock him for that too much. And And honestly, I can't even think off the top of my head when the other – fumble came into play. I can't either,
0: to be honest. I mean, I'm pulling up some game stats right now, things like that, but uh, let's see. Fumble, fumble ruski, fumble! Yeah, Colorado, uh, boy, did they have three fumbles? Right here, it's showing they had three fumbles during the game, so uh, you know, maybe we can, here, let me let me just try and see what I can get here. Let's see what we can pull up on the old stat sheet, on the old stat sheet.
1: Um. <laughs> but one, one thing that is a positive, Tyler, even though they did have three fumbles, they did not lose any fumble. So even though, yeah, that's certainly not something you like to see out of your offense, coughing the ball up. It wasn't any game-changing plays. And I think that's why we're struggling to remember exactly when it came into play within the game because it, it did not – directly impact anything within that game.
0: No, I can't find anything specifically. So, you know, I, I don't think it was... Look, I didn't walk away going... <laughs> right. Fumbles are a huge deal here. We need to clean up the fumbles, but... But something to something keep an, an eye, eye, eye on. on. Yeah, exactly. especially
1: when you got your your starting center is out and Colby Purcell, and that could be something that's a little bit of the issue right there, is just getting that continuity between the quarterback and the center.
0: Alright, let's get to defense here. Nate Landman, the star of the show. Oh, I've been waiting for this one. 11 oh, tackles, 3 sacks, 1 pass defense, and he won the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year, the Walter Camp National Defensive Player of the Year, and was in... An, uh, of the Week. Thank you so much. The Walter Camp National Defensive Player of the Week and elevated to the Butkus Award. Semifinalist. It was a big week for Nate Landman. It's been a long time
1: since that award's been uh, discussed in in Boulder. So that's that's so awesome to see him. I mean, this has just been consistently all year long. I mean, the sacks were something we haven't seen a ton of this year, but that was such a great element of, of Nate Landman's game to see him pull out there. I think this was a huge showing for him to, to to show NFL scouts what he's made of. This is a very versatile player. You know, we've talked a lot about that with Carson Wells this year, the versatility and what he's done. But to see Nate. Landman on a lot of these were delayed blitzes and I think a lot of it is where he's just reading that quarterback he's seeing what's happening and he's just attacking I don't think he was set to blitz on most of those plays you just see where the quarterback kind of gets mess, messed up in the junk of the offensive line and Nate Landman just dives through there and makes a play on the quarterback so so great to see him making so many plays so far in the season 22 so, uh, solo tackles 31 tackles this guy's averaging 10 tackles a game guys
0: He's yeah. having he's having a great season. I mean, I can't believe every single week when you go out there and watch these guys, there's certain players who you feel good about. I mean I think I speak for all of Buffs Nation here. Nate Landman is the one who I always feel the best about no matter what he does.
2: Yeah, it, when I I did watch the highlights, and, and what I did see from Nate Landman is what Jared was talking about is he's hitting either a tight end, an outside guy, even if he's inside, he's hitting those guys. He's not necessarily blitzing, but what he's doing is he's standing those guys up and, and shoving them either way, whatever way the runner goes, to get that, that, that tackle or that sack.
0: Again, the uh, Walter Camp National Player of the Week – 12 defensive player of the week. Two time uh, now this year two already. T- exactly. Three weeks. And the uh, Butkus Award semifinalist. So big game from Nate Landman. He showed up. And, I mean, it wasn't just that he's making tackles all over the field. It was when he made tackles. And I believe one of the biggest plays of the game came in the third quarter. San Diego State marching back, trying to make it a game. And Nate Landman comes up with a huge third down sack to force the punt. I mean, it's not just he makes tackles. It's he does it in the right times. The right situations, and I, I I love seeing him back there. I'm gonna hate it when he leaves. You know, it's a safety blanket. I know. Has he
1: he's been what a three year starter for the bus now at, at least, yeah, at and least, so he's uh, just been somebody you can count on playing and play out, and that's gonna be
0: tough to replace that. All right, uh, the kicking game. Evan Price looking better and better. How you guys feel about taking the uh, the kicking load and moving it from the Aussie uh, Shrimp on the Bobby to Evan Price. You know, I feel great about it. I really don't feel like
1: there's any drop off at all. I think in fact Evan Price may have a bigger leg. I, I know, but he, he may kicks have the more ball distance.
0: his trajectory so low. Have you guys ever noticed this? Like the the, the all all the kicks are just and he has had a couple blocked already this year, if I'm not mistaken. At least
1: one in that first game. So it is something to to monitor, um, especially on those shorter kicks, you know, where you want to just really get that up. But hey, on a fifty yarder, that's how you hit a fifty yarder, you get that low trajectory out
0: no, there. I'm happy with Evan Price overall. And so far what we've seen in the kicking is it has gone against teams who played C U and it's worked out for the buffs. I believe San Diego State had two missed field goals in the second half.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, And uh, before we move on from this game, Tyler, uh, we kind of just glossed
1: over the fact that CU did not play their expected opponent this week in USC. And uh, I I did see something Brian Howell put out on Twitter that I I think is is worth noting. Uh, Brian Howell with Buff Zone, if you guys are not familiar with him, he's a great writer, uh, covers a lot of CU Buff stuff. Uh, The CU Buffs could go undefeated this year. And because this game was a non-conference game, they will end up with a worse conference record, assuming USC also went undefeated. They'll end up with a worse conference record than USC. USC will get into the Pac-12 championship and not CU as a result of them not playing the Buffs. So in my mind, CU's getting screwed here. USC has the COVID issues. They can't play the game. is ready to play. They take on the opponent that's there for them. And kudos to the CU administration for making this happen because uh, rumors has it they actually made these calls before the game was even canceled. They had made calls to San Diego State. I think it was like a half hour after the game was canceled. They already had the new one in place. So somehow CU could end up getting screwed out of an opportunity to play in the Pac-12 championship if they go undefeated.
0: It drives me absolutely crazy. This whole idea with COVID, I think this comes down to Larry Scott. And I've said this time and time again, never trust a man with two first names. Larry Scott says before this thing starts, if Pac-12 teams cannot play, then we will rule it a no contest and it's not going to count for either team. That's ridiculous. Like, I think if you have a team who's following protocol, has done a good job not getting anyone sick, like there, there's something that should be go into that that should mean something not just oh well you can't play so both teams get a pass i hate that and cu was ready to go usc was not that to me should be a forfeit cu should be the only undefeated team in the pac-12 south and drives me absolutely crazy that cu likely won't have a chance to compete
2: for the pac-12 title this year it's crazy so what's worse not having uh, having one less game on your Record or actually playing a game that's non-conference. Yeah, apparently, but because
1: CU also missed last week with the Arizona State game, they're actually going to play the same number of games, one less being a conference, and, and that's because they ended up because uh, uh, San Diego State was who happened to be available for them to play.
0: And I don't know if it's just this year, but I felt so good about CU taking on USC. I think this was the weakest Trojans team I think in a in a year. Uh, kind of with all this COVID stuff going on that they had their best chance to beat the Trojans and it really made me upset that we didn't get to prove on the road that we could do something like that. And
1: I'm going to touch on this as we move forward onto this Arizona game, but it kind of feels like a a vendetta tour season, doesn't it? Like, you just there's a whole lot of things that they need to squash. Some issues from the past. USC was one of them. Arizona's another. They've really struggled against over the last four or five years and so I it, it does. It's so frustrating that they didn't get that chance to do it, but I have so much confidence that clay helton and this usc trojan team is going to totally (laughs) blow it at some point in the next couple of weeks i still believe the buffs have a chance to get themselves in that pac-12 championship you just
0: got to stay focused and do what you can control control the things in front of you we can only hope that would be great but like jared said you can only control what's in front of you and what's in front of the buffs they are going to arizona next week to take on the wildcats and what well, right now seems to be, you know, a pretty good matchup for CU. But before we get into that game and before we preview this week's uh, matchup with the Wildcats, we are going to get to uh, this week, or excuse me, this day in Buffs football history. Uh, Ryan, what do you got for
2: us in today in Colorado football history? So today being uh, December 1st. Hey, oh, happy birthday. birthday. Yes. I mean, happy expensive. birthday the, to Ryan. The day of my birth. Yes. Thank you very much. Let's fellas. give him a little
0: happy birthday, Ryan round of applause from the gallery.
2: Yeah, we're uh, closer to the end than the beginning, aren't we, fellas? <laughs> oh, Whoa, geez. Uh, <laughs> Easy. Man, I, I hope not. Boy. <laughs> I know and this man, COVID stuff is serious, I've been doing man, my but... squat thrusts. <laughs> we're doing your kettlebell <laughs> yeah, exercises. exactly. <laughs> All right, so this day in Buffs history, we're going to go back to uh, 1947. Okay. A few years before you were born, I assume. Yeah a, yeah, a few. Well, I'd definitely be closer to the end if I was born in 47. <laughs> All right, so this day in 1947, CU joined the Big Six to actually make it the Big Seven, which would later become the Big Eight, Oklahoma, Missouri, Iowa State, Kansas, Nebraska, Kansas State, and the University of Colorado. That, wow, that
0: was the original Big Seven right there. Again, OU, listen to this, OU, Missouri, Iowa State, Kansas, Nebraska, Kansas State, CU. That was the Big Seven. So pretty much everyone... About after that Oklahoma that State. joined,
1: the what? Big Twelve was garbage.
0: Yeah, right. Well, <laughs> Oklahoma State joined after that to make it the Big Eight, I and was, then no, um, and then all of the Texas teams joined after that. Oh, Baylor, man. Texas. Okay. Texas mm-hmm. I, I didn't yeah. catch so Texas. The, all all okay. the Texas's were out until they, the Texas at Big that 12. point had
2: their own conference. if Right. I'm not this
0: is these sense. are the years where OU was just owning oh, it. Mean, I think the they won every dance. year for like a twenty-year span.
2: i and I'm pretty sure. So you made this from the past this day in Buff's history. I'm pretty sure. So you made this this switch from the Rocky Mountain Conference that they are in. Yes, that's so. Um And unfortunately, didn't go well their first year. They went 3-6, and 2-3 and three in conference, and uh, finished fourth out of seven in their first year.
0: Well, hey, that's a good to stay in Buffs history. That set the, traje- the trajectory to where we are today. And I still – I don't know if I'm in the minority or not. You guys let me know again at Buffs Podcast, but I feel, I, I'd still want to be in the Big 12. I mean – I, I like the I Big think Twelve. We they need to play keep better football. This. I think
1: we need to get this some traction here because <laughs> I, I, I think, and we've talked about this on this podcast before. I think so many teams that have
2: left the Big Twelve are wishing they stayed in the Big Twelve. Right? Can we get some? Yeah, let's get some traction on Twitter. hashtag Bring back Big Twelve football. You know, like I like it. <laughs> I
0: definitely like
1: it.
2: Yeah, because doesn't the Big
1: Twelve only have ten teams in it at this point? Oh, so it's some big 12 joke 10 fraud.
0: Teams, the SEC has got fourteen. The Big, the Big. 10's got 12 Big 12's got 10 Pac-12's got 14 who knows anymore All right, let's get on to next week it's like we couldn't count in college CU going on the road to Arizona and this should be let me pull it up here quickly I think this is CU's uh, second to last yeah this is their last road game of the year Now, unless guys do
1: you realize we only have two games left on the schedule I don't even
0: want to talk about that it makes me so sad Uh, Well, maybe three, because I think every Pac-12 team is guaranteed a seventh week, which we don't know what that's going to look like yet or where it's going to be. But right now, according to the schedule, this is CU's last road game of the season, and they're taking on the Arizona Wildcats. Now, Arizona is 0-3, but I want to caution everybody, because it's not like CU should roll in there, get the easy win. Arizona sucks. It's not that easy, right? Arizona's first game of the year— They lost 34 30 against USC, and there's a lot of people who think they should have won that game. And we know about USC. We know USC is 3 0. We know USC is right now the favorite to win the Pac 12 South. So for Arizona to almost beat USC 34 30, that has to mean something. Late run by the late push by the Trojans ended up getting the win there. So Arizona starts 1 0. And then here's where it's really interesting because their next game, they come out and just get absolutely killed by a Washington. Washington scored uh, 37 points in the first three quarters. Arizona scored zero. Again, going into the fourth quarter of Washington, Arizona, it was 37-0 Washington Huskies. Then Arizona managed to score 27 fourth quarter points to make it a 44-27 game. So you guys take that how you will. I'm not exactly sure what to take from that, but I walked away going, First two games of the season were very different from Arizona. They could have beaten USC, and then they get embarrassed by Washington. Very inconsistent. Their third game, they lost 27-10 to against, uh, against UCLA. But keep in mind, their starting quarterback, talking about Arizona, I think his name's Ganell, something like that. Yeah, Grant Ganell. Grant Ganell. He was hurt after the very first play of the game. And I think any football fan understands, especially in college, if your quarterback gets hurt, the first play in the game, and your backup now has to play pretty much the entire game, you've done no game planning for your backup. They've likely gotten no practice reps. That's a hard spot to come back from. So I don't really put a whole lot into Arizona's 27-10 loss last week at UCLA. This is a weird team with very, very mixed results. Tyler, I'm if I'm being totally
1: honest, I'm having a very hard time not looking at this team going, this is not a good football team. Arizona. Uh, uh, Yeah, I'm I'm not a Kevin Sumlin guy. I just I don't I I look at him very similar to to Clay Helton, where I just I have never understood the hype behind him. He's a pretty good recruiter, but you know he he really you know did not do a whole lot at Texas A&M with a lot of talent that he had there. He's gone to Arizona and basically destroyed this program in the last four years. It's it's just falling apart on him. So the the one reservation that I have as a bus fan is I just have visions of Khalil Tate in this offense going. Crazy on the Buffs, year after year after year. It just seems like is always is a game that Arizona gets up for, and I know that they're gonna come to play against the Buffs. He's gone, Jared. He's I know, needs an exorcism. He I, know. An exorcism. <laughs> I know, I, I need an old but, priest but, but and even, a young priest. But, but Ryan, priest. this even goes back before uh, when Khalil Tate was there. Uh, five of the last six matchups, the Buffs have lost to uh, the, the Wildcats, and the only one that they won was on like a last-second, you know, back-and-forth game. But every one of the games over the last Last six years has been exactly that both teams in each of the last six matchups have scored more than 30 points we saw a great performance from this defense from the bus last week they absolutely have to perform better in this game than what we've seen from them in the past few years against arizona
0: i think a lot of that comes into what we talked about last week that it's sort of like an, an animal right when you st- when you start hearing that bell your mouth's gonna water like when certain things start to happen you respond a certain way and we've got a new coaching staff. Arizona, from all those years ago, has a new coaching staff. It's a brand new team. But strangely, I feel the same way you do. It's like we've seen this story play out before. I want to see it written with a new ending, you know? And, and I touched on it earlier, the Vendetta Tour.
1: I just feel like this is a game that for Buffs fans, I know for, I can't speak for you guys, but for me, this is one that's bugged me. Every year, over the last three or four years, I think they've lost the last three, if I'm not mistaken, against uh, Arizona. That that stings. This is not a good football team the last few years. The Buffs are a better football team in my opinion than what we saw at Arizona each of the last few years. Yet, Year after year, the Buffs come up short against them. That's got to bug you. Guys like Nate Landman, guys like Sam Noyer, seniors that have been around this, it's, it's almost like a bit of a rivalry that's come out of it because of how competitive these games have been. I want to see the Buffs come out and stomp this team. I think they're so much better, so much more talented, so much more well-coached than Arizona. There's no reason Arizona should even be in this game.
0: No, I agree. I think the last couple of years, it's been all... Tate scrambling. I mean CU's done a nice job shutting him down and it's been a whole bunch of Are you Seriously, kidding me, still gives me nightmares going on during those games. But I think you bring up a good point that the fact that a lot of these players have been around and seen what CU's done against Arizona, there's gonna be a little bit of a vendetta, a little bit of a uh revenge factor in this, and it's inherently tied in. I think the fact that CU's lost this team and they have a lot of players coming back is very meaningful for the Buffs.
2: Yeah, so I'm just looking I honestly think this game, um, Kevin Summon's coaching for his job right now no yeah, doubt about sure. it i mean he's zero and five going back to last year in his last five games and they have not even been close and in every statistical category they are in the bottom either half or last third to almost last in all of their categories so yeah,
0: it's it's funny now you look across the pac-12 south all the coaches who made their way in who are playing against now did you guys know last week brady hoke is the coach of San Diego State? Isn't that hilarious? Did you to know, see I, that?
2: <laughs> I did not see that. That's crazy. I, yeah. I didn't know till the game
0: started. i go. Wait a minute. Yeah, I'm like Brady, Brady Hoke. What is he like? In a, a, a,
1: no way. Is he? Uh, he's got to be just like an offensive assistant, just uh, having a cup of tea there, right? Okay. No the, head coach.
0: The, the coaching carousel is a weird thing. Some coaches end up in in the abyss after one or two years of not working out.
2: Is is Coach Mack at San Diego? He's at San, San Jose. Jose. He's at San Jose. Well, he okay.
0: was at San Jose State. I think he's in the NFL now. Oh, really? We're talking about uh, uh, McIntyre. Mike McIntyre. yeah. I think he's in the NFL. Jared can look that up for us, but I believe that is the case. His name is spelled so weird I have a hard time with All it.
1: Right. There he goes. It pops up.
0: Where is he right now? Uh, he say? is
1: defensive coordinator at Memphis. Oh, Memphis. And this is Wikipedia. So, you Boy, he's really for falling for, uh, off the cliff. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Lee. <laughs> well, I, mean,
1: think, I he, think he, think he was at out, Ole Miss last year, if I'm not mistaken, and that whole coaching staff got canned. Yeah, so Lane,
0: Lane Kiffin
1: fired yeah, old, him. Old Lane came in, uh, but you know, Tyler one, one thing that a point that I continue to bring up week after week. I know we're not a sports betting podcast, but I keep talking about the great lines for CU, and they uh, they're these not underdogs. So great but, this week. Well. They are a favorite. And I know last week they did go in as a favorite, well, and that bet. was kind of short notice, so that's a little bit different. That's good for CU. It's not good
0: for a value
2: on no, CU. Yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> Let's put it that way. And uh, Jared, Jer- Jer- you and I bet with our hearts while yep. bets with his brain.
0: <laughs> it's just a lot of points to be given up. Se- seven My and, first and a half, thought, by, and by the one, way. seven. who and 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 are we going to tease with the Buffs this week? How <laughs> are we really get this line
1: down. But, but guys, uh, over over under 59. nine. Like mm-hmm. I, I just mentioned, Each of the last six matchups against uh, Arizona, each team, both teams scored more than 30 themselves. So I'm actually... Going to go the opposite on this one, guys. I think we see the Buffs really come out and try to play more of a defensive game. I think they focus on shutting down Grant Gannell and this wide receiving quarter. Well, court. you pump
0: the brakes there, Jared, because Grant Ganell looking like he's not going to play. Still out. Still okay. out for this week. And as a matter of fact, the injury, they don't know if he's coming back this season. So we're not sure. By the way, we're recording this Tuesday evening. We're not sure that Grant Gannell's out. But when I hear a report from Arizona saying... We don't know if he's going to play this game or the rest of the season. That, to me, says he's not going to be ready in a couple days to play, right? So we're probably going to see Will Plummer quarterbacking things for Arizona, which... He's got what? He's throwing for 48% completions, no touchdowns, two picks this year. This is CU's shot. If they're gonna shut him down, it's by making this team one-dimensional. Now I know the last couple games of the season, we've gone different ways, right? What does CU need to do to get the win here? What do they need to do to ensure at least the most uh, the, the the path to victory that's that that's the most likely? This game, it's easy to me. Stop the run and force the pass. Now, this is an Arizona team that likes to be balanced. Coming into this game, they've run the ball 105 times. They've thrown the ball 111 times. This is not the classic Arizona Wildcats that we've come accustomed to see. See, and
1: that's where I'll completely disagree with you there. Even though it's not their starting quarterback in there, all their talent is at the wide receiver position. And I think I don't want to see these receivers getting out there and making big plays all day long. No, but so, that's, that, that's why I said, George stop the pass. Oh, I'm sorry.
0: I thought I heard you say stop the run Oh, No, and, no, no, and, no, no. And, and, and le- no, no. No, 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 no. You you are exactly right. I did. Yeah, stop stop the run and make them pass. But it's not the it's not that I'm worried about all these receivers doing so much damage on the outside. See, you can drop back. See, you can ask now. I think the first three games has proved you can ask a lot of Gonzales on the outside. You can run a, you know, uh 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 the nickelback with Isaiah Lewis. You can do so many different things and mix up coverage, disguise coverage, and you're right. I'm, I'm sorry I misspoke there, but I think C.U. needs to load the box, stop that run, make whoever's yeah, I think to lean on that, that front, front seven. Le- lean on that front seven that's
1: been so good for the Buffs this year. You don't need to you know, put your cornerbacks in, in bad positions, put your safeties in bad spots. I think you strategically, if you want to attack them in a few ways, I do think you want to get after a quarterback. Anytime you got a backup quarterback in there, you got to get after that quarterback. Put him in situations where he's got to make decisions quickly but I don't think you need to do that with anything more than your front four maybe bring in a linebacker or two. I think you do what you can to make sure you don't give up the big play. That's what this matchup has been year after year after year and I I get it's a different coaching staff. It's different players but six years in a row means something. Six years in a row this team has gone off for 30 plus. I think you have to stop the big plays and I think you do that by not letting their outside receivers get out there, get deep on you.
0: Do we know the injury at Chris Miller, what's going on? Didn't he come out? Uh, he Ryan, was, I don't know you were there. Yeah. He
1: was out playing a little bit. I definitely saw him on the field, but he he just there's something lingering. There's something going on there, and I don't know the exact injury, but it did seem like he was still hampered and he didn't play much in last week.
0: So we're gonna have to keep an eye on that because no matter what CU tries to do, Chris Miller is gonna be a big part of that. And uh, let's hope that he gets back and is healthy for this week. But his backup, uh, Curtis Appleton had probably the easiest interception he's going to have his entire career. Love that. Give <laughs> like, it on the stat sheet, boys. <laughs> exactly, right? I mean, it, it went right to him. Any of us could have caught that. Well, well maybe, not, maybe not Jared. Yeah, uh, yeah. Jared drops the ball a lot. But Curtis Appleton, easiest catch of his career. But he looked, the rest of that game, I started watching him, right? Number 30, Curtis Appleton. And he looked more and more comfortable the more the game went on. I'll tell you what, the first couple snaps, he was kind of lost, right? And it's like, oh, God, you know, Chris Miller, you feel so good about him back there. But if he is hurt... I don't think the buff back position is going to be impacted that much. I think they'll be able to adapt and do whatever they need to. But you know, it's just interesting, Jared. The two thought the two uh, thought processes there. You know, I just think that if you make Arizona one dimensional. That takes away everything, including the quarterback run. And right now, Will Plummer, third in the team, well, fourth in the team in attempts. But I think that's more
1: telling of how poor they are at running the ball. So I'm not that worried about their ability to run the ball against the Buffs. I think they're going to shut that down without having to put any extra guys in the box. That's more my thought process See, that's so
0: interesting. I want to put Will Plummer in a bad spot. Make this guy throw the football. Make and I him sit back I get there and, and look at his reads and go through the second and third and you know, but this just proves. I mean, there is no first of all, we're not coaches here and we all have our different approach although but i'd think, like to think they'd probably
1: uh, be benefited from uh, <laughs> listening to a up. few things from us from time but, to time but
0: it's interesting because i think that we do reflect you know a, a large majority of what the fans are thinking i think there's some out there going stop the run force this guy to pass and there's some agreeing with jared going no the, the you know it's going to be fine as long as they don't air it out on us we can stop the run so either way i mean ryan do you lean towards one or the other really what CU you should do this game in terms of forcing arizona to do one thing or the other
2: Honestly, I, I think you continue what you did last week and trust in your defense. Honestly, um, I, I think we can stop really anybody on the ground, and I have faith in that, in that uh, secondary that even if they do want to go deep, well, bring it on. So right. it
1: sounds like you're kind of adopting my philosophy here, and I think you make this a defensive game. I, I don't want this to become a shootout. If this gets it up over we've to that seen over, this story before. I, I don't like the way that feels, and I think that this back and forth is it's not what the Buffs are, and I think we've really seen that this year.
2: Right. Well, and, and the past three games, uh, granted, I didn't see the last one, but you know, look again, looking at highlights, hearing from you guys what happened, is we aren't a team that's going to succeed with having to air it out and try to make up points Mm. Uh, the game plan for the cu buffs should be and always be should have been for the last 10 years is have a balanced game plan have a balanced football team and when when it comes to it you may be down three you may be down seven you may be down 10 but when you're only down that way and you have a balanced football team you never panic all right, let's get to what CU needs to do on the field. How do we
0: show up against uh, Arizona's defense? And honestly, I don't, it doesn't matter to me. Like, I wouldn't mind seeing Broussard get the ball 25 times, another 10 from whoever the backup's going to be this week, be it Joe Davis or Jared Mangum, a couple rushes from Sam Noyer. You've got yourself a nice little combination there. Or if they sit back and air this thing out, it's been proven that Arizona has a lot of holes in the defense vent. Matt. By the way, if you look at total team tackles, Arizona may be one of the more... Uh, tricky teams in all of college football because all their tackles are from defensive backs. Isn't going, that way? I thought wow, that was the craziest the defensive thing. Backs all over the field. Where Man, is these guys a are linebacker aggressive. in here? <laughs> exactly. I'm going, these guys are aggressive but then you look at it and it's like, oh, that's because the ball always ends up so far downfield the against these guys. There's no one else but the defensive backs to tackle. So I throw a lot of their defensive stats out the window and I think it's whatever CU wants to do. If they want to air it out and throw the football, I think they'll be fine. If they want to run it, I think they'll be fine as well. But what I want to see is a run-heavy attack like Jared was talking about. Most that clock. Let's not get into a big shootout here. We've seen that story before. Just get in, get the win, get out of Tucson.
1: One of the things I really want to see out of the Buffs this week is, is after a week where I think the passing game struggled a little bit, and I think you saw it was a situation where I think they really put it onto Sam Neuer's shoulders. The the, the defense of San Diego State, that is. They really focused on shutting down that run early and had some success with that early on, and that's where Sam Noyer was kind of forced to put it on his shoulders. I absolutely expect Arizona's going to come with the same approach. I think they're going to load the box. I think they've seen how successful Jarek Broussard has been. I think they know the athlete that Sam Noyer is. I think they're going to do everything they can to make the Buffs one-dimensional. I think you lean on the play-action-passing game. I want to see them you know, get that running game going early and then give that fake, and maybe you got Katie Nixon deep. Maybe that's Dimitri Stanley deep. I want to see some big plays out of this offense force them to then respect this passing game. From that point, you do whatever you want against this team because they can't stop you.
0: Now, let's be clear here. This is all projecting that Arizona's quarterback, Grant Gunnell, Grant Gunnell, whoever the heck you say his name. It is Gunnell. Is going to be out next week. This is all predicated on him being out. I, if Gunnell, I don't care. If he comes back in and plays, it's going to be a tougher matchup against CU, but everything I said goes out the window. Then you have to stop that pass. That's a good point. Then you've okay. got to watch the secondary because this guy is elite. I mean, Grant Gunnell, or Gunnell, however the heck, what is it? It's Gunnell. Who cares, man? Arizona's quarterback, the their, starting, <laughs>
2: their
0: starting quarterback, He is so much better than Will Plummer. And if he's on the field, I think this could be a shootout and this whole thing changes. But right now, doesn't look like he's going to be out there. Looks like we're going to get Will Plummer. And, uh, you know, again, we're recording Tuesday. Things could change. But right now, based on what we see, nice defensive effort from CU. run the football, and they should be good to go this weekend. Before we get out of here, guys, as we always do, let's get some score predictions. I'll go first. I think CU gets on the board and holds Arizona down. I'm thinking it's going to be... 31-20 31-20 to 20 or so, maybe 31-13. The Wildcats get a late touchdown to bring it closer, but I think CU wins and wins comfortably here 31-20. to 20. I, I like the Buffs all the way here. I, I think the defense shuts down this Arizona offense. I
1: don't think you see any production out of this Arizona offense, and, and I think CU's offense continues to roll at the pace we've seen them. I got this game going 28-10. Buffs. Yeah.
2: All right, yeah. Um, I think the Buffs defense is a well-oiled machine right now. Uh, I think we're going to make uh, Arizona one-dimensional. Um, I'm predicting at least a defensive touchdown, possibly a, st- a special teams touchdown. Okay. I'm Good going down. to see wow. you, Buffs. Uh, well, actually, let me expand on that as well. I think um, – Kevin Sumlin's message to this team and this program is stale. I don't think this, these kids are playing for him anymore. Uh, I, th- I think they roll over. I got the buffs 35 17.
0: Uh-huh, all right. I like it. Real quick
1: before we yes. get down here, I, I've been thinking it the whole time we keep saying Will Plummer. I was like, does that has, have to be any relation to Jake, Jake Plummer? Plummer. No. no, it's not. Not related really. to Jake Plummer at all.
2: <laughs> Just uh, thought anyone out there might think be Jake, thinking the same you thing. You think Jake Plummer would let his son go to Arizona? Well, he, he was Arizona State. Yeah, that's what I thought it was weird. That's that's what that's
1: what saying. Saying. I had to look. You know, you never know.
2: All right. But that is the first
1: thing when you type in Will. Bill Plummer, and it comes up saying, is that his dad?
0: (laughs) One last stat here before we get out. CU on the air, 13 of 13 in the red zone. 11 touchdowns, two field goals. Going to need a similar performance this weekend as CU takes on Arizona. So let's go, Buffaloes. Hope we get a big win, and we'll talk to you guys next week on the Buffs Nation podcast.